life is a journey. Welcome to another episode of How to Work in Film and TV, the podcast that attempts to explain and help you actually find a job working in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Ashley Bearden. I'm a New York-based producer and director, and this podcast is meant to draw back the curtain a bit and shed some light on how to actually find a career working in the film industry. Each week, I talk with different crew working in all the many different departments necessary to bring you your favorite films and television shows. And I also talk with those working in commercials and digital content and news. This is the inside scoop. You know, the stuff they don't teach you in film school. So my guest today is Lacey Whitman. Lacey is a New York and Minneapolis-based producer. After graduating from film school at Montana State University, she got her start working in Los Angeles, hustling her way onto big-budget films like Nim's Island. She then made her way to New York, where she spent several years on staff at College Humor, working as an assistant director and producer. She's gone on to produce countless digital series, live fashion events, and commercials, working with big brands like Vogue, MTV, Toyota, and so many more. Her real passion lies, though, in her work with nonprofits around the world, working on conservation projects and elephant advocacy. Lacey has one of the biggest hearts I know working in the business and also one of the most varied careers I know about. (laughs) So hi. Hi. Wow, that's such a generous and thoughtful introduction. Thank you so much. Well, you're such a generous and thoughtful person. I hope I got it all right. Did I get all that right? Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I'll just call out is at College Humor. I was primarily their post-producer. Oh, okay. Well, see, this is yeah. the very career that I yeah. mentioned before that yeah. I would like for us to talk about. But then um, it I'm, did sort of segue into I, I AD for them, I directed for them, and I, you know. So, yes, it, it, the the varied part is 100% accurate. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's just start out. Can you just tell us how you got started? How did you get into the entertainment business? Yeah. So as a kid, I always wanted to be an actor. Uh, my goal was to be on People Magazine, <laughs> the cover, of course. <laughs> and then I took some acting classes as like a kid and then as a teenager. And I realized I'm actually a terrible actor. I, I'm, I'm terrible. We did an audition class and I realized I would not cast myself. Like and I was is, so bad. This is in Minneapolis, right? Where you, where you grew up? This is in Minneapolis. Okay. Yeah. But I always had these you know, dreams of like moving to LA or New York and like getting an agent and like being on sets. And I always wanted to be an actor. And then again, in high school, middle school, I realized I'm not a good actor, but I still love the process. I loved, um, like, I, I remember very early on, um, Kevin Smith's film Mall Rats filmed in the mall like down the street. And we, my mom took us to go see one of the them filming a scene and I sat there for you know hours as as we all now know it takes hours to film things and my sisters are like oh my gosh I'm so bored can I can we go and I'm like no we can't go like <laughs> we're, it's just getting good and um so it, it was a little experiences like that I knew I loved movie making but like the actor thing wasn't going to be where I entered so I started to get involved in like my media production classes in high school and I became more on the directing and technical and producing side. And um, so, yeah, that was sort of my in and I and I really, really enjoyed it. 
And in as my senior year, I ended up making a film that won like a Midwest Emmy. So that Ooh. was sort of like validation that this is in fact like something I should pursue. And that's so cool. Went, what was your film about? I didn't know you did that. It was it was for um we we released it on the night of prom to as a PSA to not drink and drive. Ah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um so that was like my advocacy starting there. <laughs> um, and then I really, I either wanted to be an architect or a filmmaker. And I found that Montana State had a program for both. So if I decided I didn't want to become a filmmaker, that I could go into architecture easily. So, mm-hmm. and I also love the mountains. So I went to Montana State, fell in love with the program, really found like my people. And it was just like, that was my community. So ended up graduating with a media and theater arts degree. Then it was senior year and I was taking a, a course at the um, the PBS, Montana PBS, and I had to do like an independent assignment. And I was working for, a, a, this is a long story, but I was working for a mentorship program in the schools. And they were hosting a girls who code program and Jane Fonda was going to come and be the keynote because she had connections to Montana and so I made that my PBS project that we were going to document and I was going to get an interview with Jane Fonda I was like I was going to do it I was like I have an in we're going to make this happen well Jane did not necessarily want to be interviewed she wanted the focus to be on the girls Mm. so the only way she agreed to do an interview is if some of the other girls were a part of the interview and so I did get my interview with Jane Fonda. That's so cool. And it was like, she, she was very quiet. She kind of sat back, but I got to ask her like one question and she did answer my one question on camera. But honestly, that was my in because then a random production company in LA found out that Jane did this thing because she had sort of been under the radar for a long time. They were doing a documentary about her and sort of and it was like eating disorders and she had publicly come out that she had suffered from bulimia so they wanted content from Jane and reached out to me and this was like an LA production company and I got ballsy enough to be like okay well I have the content but um I'm coming to LA for the summer and do you guys offer internships because my best, my best friend, she really wanted to work at the Matt Damon Ben Affleck company, so she got an internship there. And she said, "Come with me to LA." And I was like, "Ah, I don't have any work." And then this opportunity fell on my lap, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll in, we'll take you on as an intern." Oh my god! So I ended up interning at this very small production company called Blue Cactus Pictures, and Jane Fonda was my in. Oh my God, that is such a cool story. I did not know. Yeah. And now knowing you that, though, that sounds just like you. <laughs> I believe I just, it 100%. <laughs> I just got like super bold and I had nothing to lose. So it was, so Which I is, spent my summer. Yeah, That's I how spent, so many of us have summer. gotten our jobs, right? <laughs> totally, totally. And so I, I spent my summer in LA between my junior and senior year of college. And... We lived it up, my friend Mary and I. We just like had this LA life and suddenly I was production coordinating on a feature that Blue Cactus was producing. Their AD fell through and they were filming in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And because I had been part of the project the whole time, 
they said, hey, can you AD? Now, I didn't know, in film school, they don't teach you what an AD is at all. So I remember saying yes, and they're like, we'll teach you how to do it. I was like, okay, awesome. Like, if it's like production coordinating, I'm like, sure. It's paperwork and you call vendors to make sure they show up on time. And uh, I, they flew me to Tulsa. And I remember ordering a book on Amazon. And the book was <laughs> How to Be a First AD. And the book <laughs> arrived to my hotel. And that was like, I had a book. And then I ended up befriending the sound guy who would whisper, like, okay, say this. Oh, my God. Do you, were you making the schedule for the show, too? Like, how do you just go? Yeah. How do you be a first AD without ever coming up on set? I mean, it was a lot of help from the production team. And, they, yeah, they just kind of helped me. I mean, it wasn't, it was a very low-budget indie film. Um, the producers did a lot of, like, the, you know, the boarding of it. and But every day we had meetings about, like, how the day would go. And I was really, you know, I knew the whole team and it was a really small, it was a small crew from LA and then a local crew from Tulsa. And again, the sound guy would just whisper what to say. <laughs> and then um, the, the first day, all I was told, right, like, don't go over 12 hours. You cannot go over 12 hours. And um, it was like, the time was up, but we were in the middle of this scene. And so after that take, I was like, no, we're done. We're done. And John, the director was like, what? He's like, can we at least get a few more takes? I was like, no, you, we can't. We can't go over 12 hours. We can't. And so the producers had a little heart to heart with me and, and they're like, we know we told you that you can't go over 12 hours, but if John's in the middle of a scene, we can let him finish. <laughs> okay. So anyway, that's my long, that's my very long winded story of how I got in the industry. I fell into AD and production through that way. And then two years of doing that in LA on indie films, I had an opportunity to go into post-producing because I was working on a film that actually flipped and went union. Mm. And I was a production coordinator at the time and I didn't want to join the union. And there was a whole bunch of other issues with the film. And we, my roommate, who was my APOC at the time, we were miserable. Like it was just a really dysfunctional film. And I remember saying to Dave, like, if it flips, that's our opportunity to, to be out. Like, we'll, we'll walk. And it flipped. And so we had to turn in all our paperwork and we just, like, walked off, out, off set. Yeah. It was, like, three, day, three days in the production and we thought we would never work again. It was one of those things. We were driving back thinking, we've just burned every bridge. Like, we will never work in this town again. Then that next week or that Monday or something it was like a Friday I got a call from a production manager that I had worked with that said a post soup was looking for a post coordinator and I said well I don't know post he goes yeah but you know how to coordinate and I was so desperate I was so it was like the timing is everything I was so desperate thinking like oh my gosh I have to take this job that I said yes and I went into interview that next day and it was post-coordinating for like a big 3D studio film. It was Journey <laughs> to the Center of the Earth in 3D. You eventually made your way to New York, right? And yep. were at how long were you at College Humor? 
I was at College Humor for three years. Three and so years, that was okay. My only, I was a freelancer in LA and that was an in-house job. And so that was my only, well, it was a, an in-house opportunity, which is very foreign to a lot mm. of people who would do freelance production. Um, but they had an internal video production team. So it was, it was actually relearning the process unlike very specifically how they did it. And, you know, they didn't necessarily, it was early days of digital content. And I was used to like the old school union ways of LA. And they just, they didn't do anything. They didn't sort of like follow those standards. So for a while there, there was a lot of like um, ways in which I was really frustrated because I I had worked so hard. I was like, this is industry standard. Like these are, these are the things and this is how you do it. But I will say that being flexible and open and realizing it was a whole new world and like digital content and, and short form content will just, it operates differently. It was so refreshing and actually has helped me like break out of those very stereotypical one lane, this is how you do it, molds of like the LA scripted television world. Um, you know, so that's definitely something maybe just to like tell your your listeners, like there are, there is more than one way to do it. However, be very mindful that a lot of people do things a certain way because it's industry standard. And that's sort of the way in which you learn and you grow and you how things function and why things are so efficient is because it's all like single laned. This is yeah. how you do things and form formatted that way. But also at the same time, you could be dropped into a production that does things completely different or isn't as structured or, you know, the lines are a little bit more blurred. So being able to have, again, that common sense and sort of like flexibility of, Oh, this is, and not be so uptight about it. Well, you, you know, I'm a PA and this is only my job. Or like, this is an AD doesn't do that. Like the amount of times I've helped our department is, is like beyond what probably most ADs do, but it's probably because I worked on sets that didn't have as structured of a union guideline. Yeah. Now, again, like union jobs, of course, you have to be very careful that you do stay in your lane because of there are rules and regulations and safety protocol in place. So you don't get hurt, basically moving light. But I don't know, it's a long way to say the the variety of stuff I've done has actually helped me stay like nimble and open to other possibilities. Yeah. And especially as production has changed and evolved so much in the most in like the most recent years where there's, you know, so much more digital content. There are so much you know, it's not just the old school studio type films and television shows that are made anymore. And so I think being adaptable is something I had to learn too. It's um, working in documentary crews of eight people is very, very different than being on a set with 115 people, you know? So yeah, very, very different depending on what project you're working on. And now what, what are you working on these days? You're, you're working a lot of commercials these days. Yeah, so from College Humor and digital content, I segued into more uh, commercial digital content, sponsored digital content, which has actually been a nice segue because it it allows me the most flexibility within my lifestyle and that 
allowed me to be able to work on commercials for, say, three months at a time and then travel for three months at a time and do do different and more passion-driven projects, which, again, to that same point of, I, you know, we both picked up cameras after producing for so long, you know, and that was kind of scary. But at the same time, we, we were around it so much that it's like, oh, it's just a new skill. We could do this. Mm-hmm. And being able to be behind the camera truly pressing record was really, really rewarding. Um, and then obviously since the pandemic and all post being remote now allowed me to, to leave New York and run all post projects that I'm involved in from wherever I am, which happens to be Minneapolis now. So um, the projects still are very varied, um, working on some photo projects right now and working um, on, you know, some developing some independent projects. So again, the, the work continues to be fluid and you're just still taking all of those same common sense production skills and project management skills to whatever job that comes up. Yeah. And once you've been kind of doing it for a long time, you're obviously able to let things become a lot more varied too. And I think you and I both have sort of transitioned to working in projects that were a little bit more short form so that we could do a lot of personal projects that we wanted to do as well. Um, And also just, you know, the reality that commercials, while sometimes they aren't as glamorous as a film, they pay better. (laughs) And so sometimes it's nice to, yeah, you can work a shorter amount of time and make the same amount of money. And um, yeah, then you, it gives you flexibility in real life, which is nice too. And I will say, I remember being in LA and sticking my nose up on commercial work, thinking I would never do it. It was so beneath me. I would only work on movies and that evolved and changed. And <laughs> I think it had to do with lifestyle yeah. and, and, and quality of life. Yeah. I think a lot of us have done that. <laughs> I didn't want to work on commercials for a long time because it's just a different beast. You're dealing with a client and you're trying to please, it, it just tends to be very, um, high stakes, high pressure in a different way than being on films. And it, I, yeah, it's a, it's a different atmosphere, but again, when they pay well and it's only a few days, sometimes that is a, is a nice break from a film that you might be on for six or eight months. Um, so yeah, there's, there's so many different avenues that I think I didn't realize that were out there when I first started out in the business too. And I think you just kind of have to figure out how to get your foot in the door and you have no idea where that's going to lead. And sometimes you can be on a lot of times, especially in New York, there tends to be when you work on a commercial that tends to be a certain crew. When you work on a documentary, that tends to be certain folks that only work on documentaries. And then the same goes for film and television. A lot of there isn't a lot of switching back and forth between I feel like all those different mediums. But some of us do it. You and I do it. And um, yeah, I think that that's also another thing to know, too, that it's always just good to talk to people, talk to meet everybody on set that you feel drawn to in any way, because you never know what kind of connection you might make and what their next project might be. Yeah, I completely agree. And also don't be afraid to meet people and ask questions and also ask questions just to get them to know them personally and not ask questions to get something out of them because so often that's the case, but if you're just simply being friendly that goes for so much further than, you know, asking very pointed 
hey, what's your next project? Are they hiring? Yeah. You know, it, it, it really is about your personal relationships. And, you know, I, I agree that you, you can bounce around the, the industry or, or formats all you want, you know, and I think it's just being really true with like, and vocal, like, well, what kind of projects do you want to work on? Right. And oftentimes it does come up in conversation, you know, as you're chatting with somebody like, oh, you know, what are you working on? next or uh, again it's sort of like well what kind of I always like to ask PAs like well what kind of projects would you like to work on yeah and and then having an answer to that and you could change your mind you know like again maybe you're like I really want to work on film and be like oh okay well hey I'm going to connect you with this producer or you should get to know that PA just did so and so and and you do one film and you're like that is not what I thought it was going to (laughs) be Or you could be like, I love it. There's a camaraderie. There's like, feels like you go to camp sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you really, sur- you survive something. And that bond is so rewarding because you kind of go hell and back. Yeah. What's something that's been a good surprise to you about working in this industry that surprised you that you didn't realize was going to it was going to be like that. Oh, wow. That's a really interesting question. I think the one element of the industry that's so surprising is its current state of I'm in Minneapolis and able to still work in film. I never, ever thought that that would ever be the case. And obviously we have the pandemic to credit for that. Uh, so I would say that's the biggest surprise. I thought I would be LA or New York bound for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's really opened up a whole other world of, of how we work. Um, even, yeah, even I've, I've seen a couple of postings recently for jobs of feature films, um, that are willing to have certain positions be remote. And that just was as unheard of in the past, uh, totally unheard of. So um, I, rem- I remember having to get an L.A.-based phone number when I first moved to L.A. because oh, wow. like, they will only consider you if you're calling from a 310 number. Like, it was that specific. Huh. Like, you can't, it couldn't be a, an, an area code from the Valley. Like, the desired area code was 310 back oh, in the day. Interesting. Interesting. I don't think we really ever had that in New York. I feel like everybody's, nobody's from here. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's something that's disappointed you? I've one thing working in this industry that has been disappointing is there's a bit of a lack of fairness I always feel as though I'm working, not always, oftentimes, there are people in positions that I start to question how they got there Mm. and how the lack, their lack of experience is really evident and they're a department head or they're their director or they're mm-hmm. a producer or they're 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 a high level job 
that I can see through their inexperience. So it just leads me to be just it's frustrating then because having worked in this industry so long, of course, I would like to be at those top level positions. And sometimes I am, but they're much smaller projects. So I, I, I do think the frustrating and, and disappointing part is there's still either if it's nepotism or there's the connection that you have with people does matter and it can, it can outweigh your work ethic or outweigh your skill level. Yeah, definitely experienced that on many, many projects as well. And that was one of the things I remember being very adamant about when I first started in L.A. is that I never wanted to be at a position of like be a director who didn't know what the other positions below me did. Like I never wanted to be that person who was making decisions or requests or demands and didn't understand the ramifications of that decision whether it's like changing a wardrobe or recasting a a role or changing a location like I just never wanted to to be in that position where someone I mean it's probably because you didn't want to look like an idiot but I didn't want to look like an idiot yeah and so I was like I'm gonna work in every department and I think I did. Like I was a, I was a grip for a day. I was never an electrician. I worked locations. I worked wardrobe. I did not work makeup. But uh, I remember wanting to get a sense of what every production role and department did. Okay, last question. If you would reti- had to retire, you're retiring tomorrow. What would be your all-time career high? Best thing that made it all worth it. Working with the elephants, for sure, was the pivotal of my career. And it's funny because it's already happened, so I hopefully I'll get to do continue to do cool stuff. <laughs> but I was so free in that time period. And, I and was what so, were you doing? Tell other people that might not know what you were doing. So I basically gave up my apartment and... and all my commitments in New York. And I just said that my job was to go film elephants in Africa. And that was going to be my job. And how I got there was I partnered with nonprofits and um, conservation organizations that were doing projects on the ground in Africa. And I just went and I asked them if they wanted any content, whether it be videos or photo. And I would do it for free as a sort of a service, service exchange. If I got myself to Africa, to their site, I would film anything they wanted me to film. And that allowed me access to elephants. So that was that was my compensation. And I think because there was no money involved, it just allowed it to be so organic and natural and just like giving in a really wonderful way. I think, I, you know, again, as I look to the future, it's about trying to take all of those lessons that I had learned in forgetting the industry standards, forgetting the protocols, forgetting the roles in which that we, you know, we've been taught to fulfill in the industry and just remember to like what kind of content inspires you. And one of, you know, there's so many quotes that I've had been, or so many quotes that have been told to me throughout the, my career that I still hold on to, you know, like, Mike Schaubach told me my 
my boss, who was my boss as an intern when I was like super young and was also my boss at College Humor. He goes, you're a filmmaker, make films. Go make something. Just go and press record on a camera. And that advice still holds true today for sure. Thanks so much for listening today. In the show notes, you'll find a link to subscribe to our weekly newsletter that will have a recap of this conversation as well as links to things we talked about. We'll also be including notices of opportunities, job listings, and invites to film industry events. And if you haven't already, please follow How to Work in Film and TV on your favorite podcast app. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, or if you know someone looking to get into the entertainment industry, would you please share it, maybe by text or on social media? This podcast is a true labor of love, and the whole point is to make this information accessible to everyone. So your help in spreading the word is greatly appreciated. I'm your host, Ashley Bearden. Talk to you next week.